For many years, a set of remains found in Yosemite National Park were known as Summit Meadow Jane Doe. Just over a year ago, genetic genealogy revealed that the remains belonged to a woman named Patricia Hicks. Just 27 years old when the last credible sighting of her is recorded, Patricia had moved to Merced, California after her marriage ended. Like a lot of us, she just wanted a fresh start. But that wasn't what she got. I'm really glad that you've joined me for this episode of The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison. Let's tackle another story from the world of true crime here in Season 4, Episode 10, and we'll see what spiritual and safety tips we can find. I believe that every Christian's calling is to be what I call a different kind of PI, a person of impact. So stick around because I'm going to give you a practical step to do just that. Patricia married soon after she graduated from high school, but the union didn't last long. Patty was reeling still from dealing with trauma from having her brother commit suicide during her junior year of high school. Friends said that that and her divorce wounded her so deeply that it changed Patty, and they thought that it left her very, very vulnerable to someone who might want to take advantage of her. She moved to Merced, California, to be near just such a person. Donald Eugene Gibson. Gibson had founded the San Anda Apostolic Church there in Merced. Now, calling his teachings outside of the mainstream of Christian thought would be a gross understatement. This man claimed to be Jesus Christ and said his mission was to rejuvenate mankind. Now, his method of doing that got him arrested and charged with child molesting and also with some drug charges. Gibson was convicted in 1981. But while he was out on bond awaiting his sentencing, he simply disappeared. Many people think that Gibson decided that life in Mexico was better than life in jail. He's never been caught, so it's anyone's guess, really, where he is or if he's even still alive. Now, Patty left this cult of his in 1982, and a friend from the group said that she took a bus to Yosemite. Her remains were found there partially in 1983 and then in 1988, but she remained unidentified until last year. Authorities haven't publicly said why, but they do say they're certain that Patty's death was a homicide. In cases like Patty's, an outdoor crime scene, she was traveling alone as far as anyone knew, it can sometimes be hard to identify a suspect. Her case, though, brings up three. I don't see any of them barring some technological breakthrough on some DNA, and they are, from what I understand, conducting some new tests. But none of these suspects have really, really solid evidence linking her to them. So I'll I'll explain what they all do have, and you can make up your mind who you think might be the likeliest suspect. The first obvious one is Donald Gibson. It's possible that she could have known about other crimes that he committed. But remember, Patty seems to have been alive after Gibson failed to appear for his sentencing. So you have to stop and think, would he have hung around to kill Patty rather than immediately fleeing the country if that is actually what he really did? The second suspect is someone you've probably heard of. Notorious serial killer Henry Lee Lucas. National Park Service investigators interviewed Lucas And he told them that in the early 1980s, he had picked up a young female hitchhiker outside Yosemite. 
He said that they sat around drinking beer, eating chicken, and then they engaged in consensual sex. At least one of Patty's friends doubts this story because she said that due to her strong religious convictions, Patty never drank alcohol. And remember, another witness said that Patty left Merced on a bus. Of course, it's possible she could have gotten off that bus at some point and started hitchhiking, but Lucas just coming up with a story of this person, he doesn't remember their name, doesn't remember exactly when this happened. You know, it, it's not exactly concrete evidence. You also have to consider the fact that Lucas confessed to hundreds of murders, around 600, I believe, many of which they found out later wouldn't have even been physically possible for him to have been responsible for. And later, he took it all back, recanting every single confession, with the exception he did stand by his confession of the murder of his mother. That one he took credit for. Another famous serial killer had loose ties to Donald Gibson and Yosemite and Merced, Carrie Stainer. If you remember him, he killed four women in or near Yosemite. And it's interesting to note that he attended Gibson's molestation trial. The Stainer family and the Gibson family had apparently been friends. And Carrie Stainer and Patty Hicks were living in Merced at the same time. So once again, we've got this very intriguing little web of connections, but no actual proof. So we have to stop and think. It's possible that none of these men actually killed Patty Hicks. Authorities need more information. So if you know anything at all about Patty Hicks' disappearance or her death, please contact the National Park Service Investigative Services Branch at 202-379-4761. You can also just send them an email to nps underscore isb at nps.gov. And I will have all that contact information in the show notes so you can check that out if you have something that you need to tell authorities. I'd like to ask for some feedback from you. And if you're able to give me some, it would really be a great way for you to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. You might remember that I released a book back in November that's available on Amazon and it's called How to Kick Fear to the Curb, Private Investigator Approved Personal Safety Tips with Biblical Evidence to Fear Not. It teaches those practical safety tips in all aspects of life, whether it's at work, at home, in relationships, out shopping online, just tried to cover tips in every area of life. And I also talk about Bible verses that show how God doesn't want us to live in a spirit of fear. So I really think that education and preparation are key. And that's why I'm finishing up a companion book called In God We Trust, Everybody Else Gets a Background Check. And here's where I need your thoughts. I'm considering developing an event or possibly a training system that would help us all recognize the need for building trust between our churches and our communities. That is a great way that we can serve people better. Those people that have been hurt maybe don't trust the church. And when we build those bridges, when we make those connections and establish relationships, that's going to give us opportunities to share the gospel. So please let me know if that's something you'd find interesting and what you'd want to see shared in some type of program like that. You can message me on social media or email me. I've put links in the show notes. I hope you'll take just a few moments to be that different kind of PI, that person of impact 
when you share your thoughts with me. This week, I want us to take a look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, and that is from Jesus's famous Sermon on the Mount. Just like he always does, Jesus gives us these incredibly practical bits of wisdom to help us navigate in this broken world that we live in. So let's read the passage, and then I'm going to break it down into three easy-to-apply practices that are going to help us know who to trust and who just might be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. When I read that passage, to me, three things just jump out that can help us learn who we can put our trust in, and who maybe we should be a little more reserved around. First, we need to shift our mindset to trusting after we have taken time to practice some discernment. If you're going to separate the sheep from the wolves in sheep's clothing, you have to examine them closely. We need to make determinations about people based on facts that we discover through our own investigation. Don't rely completely on what you've been told about a person especially the stuff that that person themselves tells you. Put your trust in what you can see for yourself. Second, make sure that people you're interacting with pass the smell test before you trust them. You know, we've all had that carton of milk, right? One that's been in the fridge maybe just a little bit too long, and we have to sniff it before we can trust that it's going to be safe to put in our coffee. Let's use that same test on people. If you're just not sure about someone, You've got to check them out before you let them into your inner circle. If they don't pass that smell test, if something is giving you just that funny feeling inside, trust that that is the Holy Spirit warning you and just kind of put that person on the back burner until you can learn more. Third, make no your new favorite word. Your son wants to go somewhere alone with the new youth pastor that you've never met? No. Can the most popular teacher at school drive your daughter home from babysitting his kids, again, alone? No. Look at your reflection in a mirror, in your cell phone, wherever. Say no. See how strong you look when that word just rolls off your tongue? You can do this. It's so important to learn how to recognize a false prophet for when, not if we encounter them. It says in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. I certainly don't want that to happen to me or to you. So I hope you'll practice these three steps and learn how to trust appropriately. If you liked this episode, be sure to check out some earlier ones. I've just had the wonderful good fortune, the blessing of meeting so many wonderful people who have been willing to come on and share their experiences to help all of us be safer. And you can help someone else begin their journey as a different kind of PI, a person of impact, if you'll share this episode and if you'll go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe to The Unlovely Truth. And if you'd be so kind as to give me a five-star rating and a nice review, that's how more people are going to find out 
about this intersection of faith and true crime that we talk about every week. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neil Cortex, and the artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app.